My name is Maximus Decimus Meridius, commander of the armies of the North, general of the Felix Legions, loyal servant to the true emperor, Marcus Aurelius, father to a murdered son, husband to a murdered wife, and I will have my vengeance in this life or the next. Welcome to Filmstrip. These podcasts will be spoiler-filled and contain in-depth discussions of the plots, characters, and themes. All content used or discussed in this podcast is the property of the respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act, Section 504C2, Title 17. Welcome to Filmstrip. I'm Jay. I'm Nick. And I'm Kurt. This is our review of Gladiator, starring Russell Crowe, Joaquin Phoenix, Connie Nielsen, Oliver Reed, and Richard Harris. Directed by Ridley Scott, released in May of 2000 on a budget of $103 million, grossed $457 million at the box office, and won Academy Awards for Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Visual Effects, and Best Costume Design and Best Sound. So... We're here to talk about Gladiator, but first off, Kurt, welcome to Filmstrip. Tell folks on this podcast a little bit about yourself and, hey, why we're doing this, because this was your request. Uh, my name is Kurt Fabish. I'm the co-host and uh, creator of the Fabish Factor Film Podcast. I am currently running the Fabish Factor Film Group on I- on Facebook, and what we're doing today is uh, Wanted to, I, d- I definitely wanted to get into some film strip shows, so he asked to pitch some movies, and I said, I was thinking movies I've seen recently, and it's like, uh, Gladiator. I could talk Gladiator. That's about it. That sounds fine to me. I remember seeing this when it came out, saw it in theaters, watched it through the whole Oscar run, and have seen it several times since, so it was a... It, Good to go back familiar. I'm always down for some Ridley Scott too. I mean, we we've done a few of his here and there, and I've watched a lot of his films. What about you, Nick? As far as Gladiator goes, um, I did see this in the movie theater actually opening weekend with my old man. We went to go see it, and uh, I wanted to see it because of the uh, the trailer for it, the uh, first trailer. I don't know if you guys remember that. Um, it had uh, <laughs> a song by Kid Rock. This is back like in my my, oh. my my high school days, you know, during when that that new metal craze was out, you know, like uh, Kid Rock and Limp Bizkit and Corn, and like they had the Kid Rock thing, and he's sort of like you know this guy fighting its tigers in a gladiator pit. It's like we are so gonna go see that. So uh, yeah, opening weekend I was there. <laughs> bat bat backwards, uh, red New York uh, hat on and uh, khakis <laughs> and a black T-shirt, guys. <laughs> So somewhere there's got to be a fan edit of the fight scenes to ball with the ball. So, I mean that that is uh, oh well we all we all have guilty pleasures. So thanks for Aaron, you're here on the show. Um, I am not guilty yeah, about it at all. <laughs> and uh, this is what I can totally picture this. But anyway, um, you know I am a sucker for sword and sandal movies, as they're you know generally known. Uh, my father is to completely blamed for that because he um was a big fan of the robert e howard books and stories about conan the barbarian and all the artwork and stuff so when the conan movie came out in 1982 i am six years old my father sees that you know and then when it comes out on video a couple years later or it comes actually it was on tv or something he let me stay up late at night to watch that with him cover my eyes none of that you know he wanted me to see that it was a big part of what he did so i saw that i saw spartacus you went back and have always been down for you know ben-hur any of those kind of films i I love that kind of stuff i love epic 
films. And so that's what I was attracted to with this one. And I, and the thing I take away from it, just from the start, and the thing I think that really sort of sets Gladiator apart in that is that this is a, a big epic film, but it is a very narrow shafted story. I mean, it's really small in scope if you think about it. Yeah, the, the, the sort of the personal thing that's going on between the characters is really it's just involves, you know, it breaks down to you know, mano a mano, but it's taking place in this epic setting. Exactly. I mean, it's it's the thing that's wrong with Pearl Harbor is that there's this love triangle in the middle of Pearl Harbor, but it's the same story trope that will work in this type of situation. Probably also the level of actors is a little bit better in this than in Pearl Harbor, but that's another podcast for another day. Nick, you got any love for uh, sword and sandal flicks or what? Uh, not for the flicks, but I was a big fan of the uh, miniseries Rome when that was on HBO. Uh, kind of the same vein, you know, it's all about the uh, Roman Empire and, you know, the rise and fall of it. And uh, yeah, I mean, that's really the only thing I can think of that I really enjoy for being like, you know, the swords and sandals. I was never a big fan of uh, any of the other stuff. Uh, God, what was that one with the uh, chariot race, that uh, chariots of fire or something or... No, that ben that Hur. was that ben was Hur, Hur, whatever yeah. the hell it is. Yeah, I remember trying to watch that movie and like, like even like the when you put this freaking DVD in, it's like you got like this seven minutes of just like a still picture with music going on. It's like, <laughs> God, this sucks, man. I remember my dad bought that DVD and I, I was sitting there trying to watch it. I'm like, is there something wrong with this, man? I'm like, where the hell's the movie? And it's like, I just. <laughs> I turned it off. I'm like, forget this. I ain't even watching this shit, man. I'm gonna put on freaking, you know, Predator or something, you know. Oh but yeah, no, I don't. I don't really have any, uh, you know, love, love, love for the genre so much. Uh, yeah, I mean, Goat Rome is a good show, but yeah, I mean, as far as these movies go, this is really the first one I ever saw from beginning to end. All right, I've, I've never heard someone drop. Uh... Uh, been her as a boring opening, but you know, sure. So um, I'm just sitting there, man, with the so, no, no, my backwards cap on, going, screw this shit, man. I'm done with this. I'm not watching this. Yeah, at that age, yeah, I guess I could buy that. You're you're, you're not wrong. So, and I do think it's funny. You mentioned something about the way they marketed Gladiator to what is actually there. There is no Kid Rock music in the film. I mean, that's it's much more the sweeping standard score that you would get. The, with a little more of modern orchestration, sure, but there's none of that, you know, the what I call the rock and roll uh, nights and gladiator movies. You know, they uh, Heath Ledger did one of those before he ever did uh, Batman, right? You know, when he was in the, it was like the they did some uh, first night. No, not first night. medieval uh, version night, of we will, we will Rock You. Yeah, they, they had a, like a medieval version of We Will Rock You going on in there, and I was like, please. <laughs> you know? I mean, some of that stuff just gets a little old, but. It it is a it is an, it's a genre Hollywood is in love with. I, I I think you can for all the era of films that have been and what has come and gone, they will come up with these from time to time. And now the the thing is having them on TV. I mean, there's more of this kind of stuff there now than anything. But <clears throat> Hollywood loves this kind of epic story. We talked about it some, or you guys talked about it actually on the best of shows that you did on The Famous Factor, you talk about the kind of films that get nominated for Oscars from time to time. This film is straight up Oscar bait in a lot of ways mm -hmm. because it does some of the things that Hollywood likes. I was actually thinking about this. We, we were talking about this with the Batman Begins show about how comic book movies, you know, are they going to be around forever? And I made the comparison of the Western. Think about the Western is, let's say, the late 30s to the early 60s, every other film Hollywood put out was a Western. The Western genre was just enormous. Yep. And then all of a sudden, they died away, 
and uh, they just get these little revivals every couple of years. And that is what went on with Gladiator because, you know, Sword and Sandal, epic films, uh, Covatus and Rise and Fall of the Roman Empire and so on. Like those films were, you know, they they make like you know, one a year pretty much. But I guess they just got too expensive and less and less interest because people were making movies like Star Wars and so on. Uh, so this film was kind of, uh, well, what's the word? Uh throwback to uh old hollywood well, i think it's like a, it's like one of those sweeping epic movies uh this is like really the first of the bunch that came out you know you also and then you got movies like troy that came out and uh ridley scott kind of created it with this movie you know kind of the revival of the epic you know like the ben-hur type a- epic but then he also kind of killed it with uh kingdom of heaven because you know like that was like kind of his movie gladiator was the <laughs> first and then kingdom of heaven was kind of like the last one yeah, it's rare that the the guy that that starts the thing is the one that kills it. But you're right. I was actually thinking that that it's funny that he you know had such an influential part in it because he's also part of why we don't do it much anymore. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you almost kind of say that about like even like Peter Jackson with like all suddenly he made like really long three hour movies popular with Lord of the Rings and then King Kong came out and he kind of killed it then too. You know, just almost like it's too much of a good thing. It's like it works with some stuff, but doesn't work with others. And uh, yeah, I mean, same thing with this. I mean, people watched uh, Kingdom of Heaven, the uh, theatrical edition, and it was kind of a lacking movie in some areas, especially when you got someone like Orlando Bloom being your your main guy. He's no Russell Crowe when it comes to, you know, the charisma and, you know, action chops. I've never actually seen all of Kingdom of Heaven. Last time I tried watching that was, I guess, the fall. It came out on DVD. It was going to be a big thing because me and my brothers and my dad were all huge fans of Gladiator. So we popped it on. Oh, this is going to this is going to be so great! And I don't know how long the theatrical cut is, but we sat there for three hours waiting for something exciting to happen. And we just all agreed we've never done this really before. We just agreed. You guys want to turn it off? And we all just went, "Yeah, this isn't this is not this isn't uh, very good." Because literally, we kept waiting. Here comes the battle scene. Here comes the battle scene, and they they don't show one. But from what I understand, the extended cut of uh, Kingdom of Heaven is great, but I haven't seen it, and uh, it is a shame that they, they, you know, Kingdom of Heaven did kind of kill off that subgenre. It really did, and it's one of the examples of, of I could do this for any genre <clears throat> of a movie that would have worked a lot better if it had been a miniseries on a cable network like Showtime or HBO or something like that. It's, it was never meant to be, even in the extended idea of what a theatrical epic can be. It's just not built for that type of a, a, a of. A, format so well before we get any further into it kurt since you're the new guy here and this was your (laughs) idea why don't you give us the plot summary for gladiator and then we can talk through the movie gladiator is a film about general maximus decimus meridius the spanish general of the felix legions an army for rome he defeats the barbarian hordes of germania bringing peace to rome and the emperor marcus aurelius offers him the position of emperor in the time it takes for him to consider the position, Marcus Aurelius, the emperor, is killed by his son, Commodus. Maximus is then betrayed by Commodus, is put to death, and his family is also put to death. Maximus escapes, but does not arrive in time to save his family. And uh, Maximus, in his grief, uh, gives up on life and is taken in by slavers, becomes a gladiator, and... Uh, finds a new lease on life and finds a new chance for revenge as the Emperor Commodus arranges these games in Rome to ring in his new reign. And Maximus sees this as a chance for revenge. And he gets to Rome and, spoiler alert, he gets his revenge. 
that's a good way to sum it up. Um, we talked about in the opening there. This is a, a sweeping epic, but it is a very small story. It's really about this one man's sort of rise, fall, and then revenge plot. It, it it's all it's kind of uh, I don't know payback. I've seen that before. I mean, I've I've seen this happen several times. It's Death Wish, you know, Charles Bronson. You go back to the seventies. I've seen seen this kind of thing happen before, and I tend to like those type of stories where not only is the guy hell-bent on killing everybody that killed his family, but unlike some of the action fare that's you know more popcorn-y, there's, there's cost to it, but he's willing to give up everything in order to get there. So a lot of that rests, though, on Crow. And I up until this point, I only knew Russell Crowe from a few things. I'd seen him in a really weird... Um, flick with Denzel Washington called Virtuosity. I don't know if you guys ever saw that one or not. <laughs> a really, really strange uh, film. But I liked him, and he plays this, uh, he has this real menacing presence to him. I mean, that was the thing I remembered about that. I'd seen him in The Quick and the Dead, which is the Sam Raimi, you know, shoot him up western with Sharon Stone. <laughs> and he's, he's awesome. He is awesome, and that, that is a, a fun one. And I'd seen him, of course, in L.A. Confidential. That's where I really realized this guy has some chops. And then he did The Insider with Michael Mann, which was just a brilliant performance. As a matter of fact, that was the one right before Gladiator. So this guy's like a chameleon. I mean, he can play someone who looks really old and frumpy. He can play really in shape. Uh, that's the thing about Crow to me is that you can stick him in just about any area and he will amalgam around whatever the plot needs him to do. Oh, yeah. He's he's the, uh, I think he's New Zealand. Uh, he's like, he's the New Zealand Christian Bale, really. He's uh one of, he's like these one of these old school uh, method actors like De Niro and Pacino. He knows he, he'll become these characters, and he's played just about every sort of character you can name. I mean, American, British, Spanish in Gladiator, and so on. I know him as Romper Stomper. <laughs> I don't know if you guys ever seen that movie. Uh, it's a 1992 uh, film. I haven't seen that. Apparently, that was his big breakout. Like that was for him what Bronson is for Tom Hardy. Yeah, he's just. It's like a neo-Nazi movie. It's a, it's good. It's good. Uh, I don't know. It's <laughs> the thing I kind of remember most about it was you guys remember the show Doug on Nickelodeon? Yeah, they did. They yeah. did a play on a uh, romper stomper where uh, Doug played a character called Waffle Stomper, <laughs> and he had waffle irons and shoes. I don't know. This is just just a little bit of uh, trivia oh. there, just in case you guys are on Jeopardy. So, <laughs> I think I think it is Crow though, and it, they don't waste any time getting us right into what he's all about. I mean, that the the opening scenes of this film, this is uh, the thing Ridley Scott knows how to do. It, it always gets me about his films, no matter how good or bad they turn out to be. The opening for Ridley's films always hooked me for some reason. It always made me want to know, what is this? Where am I? What's going on? And the landscape, the setup of the battle, everything that's happening here, I'm immediately thrown into this, you know, second century world. And it, it there's not a lot of dialogue. It, it's just being explained by the visuals. And I think it's... Uh, it's deaf direction, and it looks amazing. Yeah, the, the opening of this film is probably my favorite section of the film. It's just, uh, I'm a huge fan of just, you know, big epic war films. I mean, I guess Gladiator did really get the ball rolling on big epics like this, but of course the film I think of immediately as starting all this is Mel Gibson's Braveheart. Yeah. And uh, the opening scene of Gladiator really reminded me of some of the best stuff in Braveheart. Just unbelievably gritty, like 
Whenever I think of like, it's always done right when there's mud and dirt mixed in with the blood, and that is what the opening scene. It's like something out of Platoon. How how filthy the, this this battleground. is. Exactly. That's what they talk about the opening to Saving Private Ryan. Often is the effectiveness of it is how much sand is getting blown around. Right. It's <laughs> it's the fact that these horses are making they're they're kicking up dirt and mud as they're going along, and when you get cut, you don't. I mean, you don't bleed nice. It it splatters everywhere, and it no. looks terrible. And I I think. I think the the opening is is fantastic, and it's a great way to introduce us to this guy's bravery. And it's a different world militarily. I mean, we don't put the generals out on the front line nowadays. I mean, that, they're back in the bunkers and stuff, directing everybody else. No, back that, in back in this day, they were the one leading the charge. Yeah, that that was definitely something that really struck me. One of my favorite things about the character of Maximus is he's the general. He's the you know joint chief of staff of the Roman army, and yet he's the first guy at the head of the cavalry. And I thought that is so damn cool that he's he can command an army, he can strit, he can perform strategy, but when it comes down to it, he is the guy with the the sword, you know, piercing guys in the chest with it. Well, it's kind of what sets him apart from a guy like you know Conan the Barbarian, played by Arnold, is. Uh... He's not just the big badass on the field, he's also the brains. So he's got the real perfect combination yeah. between having the the experience, the knowledge, and the power. I mean, he's got basically the perfect trifecta to be a warrior and everything. And then you see, you know, kind of after the after the battle, is you got the rich people all coming in, you know, getting, you know, hoisted up on their little fancy, you know, carriages or whatever it is that they carry him around in. And it's like you can really see the difference between that he's really kind of like an every everyday man. You know, he's a He's your blue collar yeah. guy. He's the guy that you know you you strive to be for as a child and stuff like that. And uh, it really gives the movie a face, and it really gives you someone to really you know stand behind. I mean, if you would have had him just not even going into battle and just kind of directing the stuff, he's going to come off like you know almost kind of like you know me and Jay were kind of talking about the Patriot before is you know one of the British guys back there kind of you know being you know poised and you know whatever on his horse and stuff. And you're like, yeah, the guy's kind of a douchebag, but. By having them be like all three, it really, really gets you behind the character in a way. Yeah, because, I mean, this is our, our point of entry. The, the whole thing is through his point of view. And so we have to identify and he is with a dog. him immediately. Yeah, <laughs> yeah you can't. He is a dog. You have to remember that. He, I mean, you got you to throw the dog in there so it gets everybody going, well, oh, he's got a dog. I think that the, one of the neatest things, though, is the encapsulation of all that. And he has that one speech with all of his men. And he's talking about if you, if you find yourself walking through fields of grain, don't be alarmed. <laughs> You're better off than the rest of us. You know, in other words, that, well, you've, you've, you've died and moved on, but go out go out swinging, you know, and it, it was one of those inspiring speeches. I mean, war speeches are a dime a dozen, and particularly by 2000. I mean, geez, we've heard them all, but it's one of the better ones. And and again, it gets us into him without having a whole lot of exposition. I didn't have to see his family tree, nothing. I get what this guy's about, and I think you summed him up, Nick. He would rather hang out with the guys who were part of the front line, that are the grunts, than he would spend time with all this royalty that's coming in at the end going, wasn't this a great victory for us? And even that speech, though, what you brought up about, like, the grains and walking through that, I mean, that comes full circle throughout the movie. Yeah, yeah, that's screenwriting 101 to, to lay that out there now, and you start realizing, okay, they're going to play with that and play with that up until the very end, yeah. The thing about this guy, Maximus, and one of the, these, you know, the defining thing about this guy is the opening of the film. He's just, you know, you, you see the shot of the him rubbing his hands through the through the fields. Obviously, that's we're kind of cutting forward in time what we're seeing. But if it opens with him and you know just standing by himself, and he sees this bird on a on a stick, uh, and he's just you know looking at it and smiling, and he's watching it as it flies away. 
And you realize the screenwriters of the film say this on the DVD that they they wanted to illustrate this is a guy who, despite how good he is, despite what a, a, a impressive warrior he is, this is a guy who does not want to be here. This is a guy who wants to be at home. He's a family guy. He's a husband. He's a father, and uh, and he just you know he's he's more than willing to serve. But I mean, and it, it, when the battle's over, he you know the first thing he's talking about is okay. So are we done here? Like at what point can I? Well, can I, I think go it kind of goes back to what I was saying with him being kind of like a blue collar guy. Is that you know he takes pride in his job, but he's doing it for the greater good for his life, and that's his family. You know, he, he likes what he's doing. He likes being in the battles. He likes fighting. But in the end, he, it's all, he likes that, but he loves his family. I don't even know that he likes it, uh, Nick. I think he knows he's good at it, and it provides him with the life that he wants. Yeah, that then that's, that's what I'm kind of getting at, is he likes it for what it does for him and his family. Yeah, exactly. It's a means to an end for him. And so he, all he's worried about and all he really wants to do is go and harvest his grain and play with his son and be with his wife. And that's, and, you know, get the grapes off of his, his, uh, you know, fields. I mean, he just wants to be left alone. And I mean, that archetype is used in all kinds of war movies, all kinds of battle movies. You know, I, I think back to, yeah, uh, I'll I'll do Saving Private Ryan again. You know, one of the best scenes in that is where every where Tom Hanks finally tells everybody what he does for a living. You know, they've had his bet on it forever because he is this badass soldier, and he's like, I'm a school teacher and I coach baseball. You know, he's all he's doing is what he was asked to do by his country, and now he's going to go. He just wants to go back home, and that's the same thing for Crow here. Is that he wants this to be over with? This war's gone on for what a dozen years. He's ready to go home, but because of that attitude, because he doesn't seek power. That's why he's often put in power, because those are the best leaders. It's not the ones that want it, because those are the people that never let it go. It's the ones who will do it because they know it's the right thing, but will gladly you know, give it up when it's time for them to move on. And that's why Marcus Aurelius, Richard Harris, is so enamored with it. Another thing about this guy is like this character, like this concept of this guy who wants to be out of the battle, he wants to be with his family. Uh, that's the way he is, obviously, before they're killed. And yeah, I think there's a there's a the middle chunk of this film. Bef- let's you know before we get back to Rome is he's like, I think when he realizes his family's dead, I think he has an unbelievable death wish, and he's incredibly suicidal, which is why I think he's very happy to be a gladiator because there's probably no quicker way to die in reality than be a gladiator in this. Time. <laughs> very true. It's I mean and he's, and. and Whatever gets him back to his family quickest, whether it was sprint, you know, sprinting away on the horse, or if it's getting killed and being sent to the afterlife, you know, this is a, this is about a guy who wants to go home rather than a guy who wants to, you know, kill his enemy. I wouldn't say he's so much got a death wish as that his life as he knows it is over, and he just sees everything right now as, you know, like playing with house money. I guess is what you can kind of call it, where he's got nothing to lose. He so the shit, shit, the worst shit in the pot world that happened to him, and he's on a mission to get revenge on it. And whatever happens along the way, so be it. Because it's it's no you know no 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 hair you know no skin off his chest. Well, guys, we we mm-hmm. saw we saw this this last year in Skyfall. That was the whole setup for Bond. In that right was that he just was playing with house money the whole film, and he was just loose and well, it, and he didn't care. He was devil may care, and that's what makes him so good. I mean that character archetype again something we can identify with in all sorts of genre films well it's 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 yeah. it's a very very 
standard movie device. I mean, Skyfall, Kill Bill, even The Dark Knight, The Joker, that's The Joker's whole rapport yep. is that he doesn't care. Whatever happens, yeah, happens. I, and you know what? That's terrifying when you got someone who, you know, doesn't care that they're playing with house money that no matter what happens, they're not going to lose because they already lost everything. It's gone. So what do they care? And it, and that's almost kind of different to be behind someone like that who, in any other movie, he might be the bad guy where it's like, you know, something bad might have happened to him hmm. and all suddenly, you know, he's out for, you know, revenge or he wants to go out and get somebody. And how do you stop someone who's got nothing to lose? You're, the word you're looking for is antihero. That, that's what we're talking about. The, the 70s, the gritty 60s, 70s antihero, you know, French Connection, Popeye Dole, those kind of guys. You know, that's He's who we, boy. we rooted for. Yeah, you know, that's who, that's who we rooted for. I was like, you know, this guy's end mission doesn't involve saving somebody. It's, you know, his end game is, well, hopefully before I die, I can kill. Well, can, we, can we just call it the obvious on this, too? I mean, this movie borrows a lot from the outlaw Josie Wales. Oh, it's very much yes. So this is this is the outlaw Josie Wells with swords and sandals. I agree, dead on, Nick. I mean, it, his end game is to not save a person; it's to save what his idea and what his mentor's idea of Rome is. You know, that's all he wants anymore. Because and and I would argue that he only comes around to that when the opportunity presents itself. I'm with you, Kurt. After he finds out his family dies and he's in prison and stuff, I mean, he won't even fight when they tell him to practice fight. He's like, whatever, chop my head off. I don't care. You know, and and he goes out there and he just slaughters people. And what he realizes is that none of these people know how to fight. I've been doing it my whole life for a living, so yeah. he's the expert. But that's the whole thing, though. Is he doesn't go out yeah. there just to die, though, because he kills them all. He goes out there and he just he demolishes them all because it's just like, and then, you know, it does a whole like, are you not entertained? Are you not entertained? It's just you know, he might have a death wish in a way, but again, he's got nothing to lose, and he's just you know, he's showing it. He's going to go out there and put it all on the line. And all these other guys are fighting to stay alive. He's fighting just to fight. Let's talk about how he gets into the whole gladiator realm, though, because that'll introduce three of our other characters that we need to talk about. We've, I mentioned Richard Harris a bit as the elderly Marcus Aurelius, the emperor. But it's his two offspring, particularly the male Commodus, played by Joaquin Phoenix, that really move Maximus from point A to point B in this story here. Commodus and his sister Lucilla, played by Connie Nielsen, are it, part of the caravan riding up to you know, see what's happening at the battle and to check on their father. I, I have always, always seen this, watching this. Commodus wants to screw her so bad it hurts. And then he wants to screw her son, too. Am I wrong? I never read that. I, that, I read that and towards the end of the film where he threatens to... Uh... It's one of the better scenes in the film where he says, you're going to give me a son. Right. But I, I never read that at the beginning of the film. Oh, I could. The way he looks at it. Oh, him, my man, God. It's, it's all, all over the beginning. It's all it's he's got that written across his forehead the whole movie. That's, that's the thing is the way Phoenix plays his character. And let's just call it Joaquin Phoenix is a weird dude. OK, but the way he plays his characters, the, he plays it with this level of transparency where he wants you to know this is my gig and just watch me do it now. And I, I, the way he's looking at her and the way he's talking to her and all this stuff, it, and it's also just my knowledge of Roman history and you know some of that, those times and things, this is just what some of these people were like. And for him, this is his best chance, you know? 
And she's an interesting character herself. She's, you know, she, we find out later that she had a thing with Maximus and then she got married and she's got the son and they kind of play with this. Is this Maximus' son or not? You know, I don't think they ever really went to go there, but uh, supposedly if they did a sequel of it, that was going to be revealed. But there's, there's this, uh, attraction repulsion thing because the the opposite of that is that connie nielsen plays it as if you repulse me i'm only here because we're blood oh definitely i mean the whole movie he's completely just salivating over her and she's just kind of you know playing off like she just can't stand him and she can't and she's you know it's almost kind of weird with her character because it seems like almost after she learns what happens to a maximus's uh wife that she's almost trying to take the place of her I, I think you're right. Now, Kurt, you said that you didn't see it that, that way. So tell us what you saw just with Commodus and Lucilla here. Well, I mean, at the beginning of the film, I think I just saw them as, well, I mean, what I saw them as was just brother and sister uh, <laughs> in a powerful position. Uh, you got a weird family then, just, Kurt, because that's not how it came off at all. <laughs> I guess I got to watch it again because I never, I, I honestly, I never saw that. One of those things, and I, I will admit, again, I'm, I'm colored by just knowledge of other things that maybe have bled over into this, but it's, and it, and I won't lie to the fact that it's also, this is 13 years after this was made and I first seen it, I know that that's the case, so that may also be color of my opinion of it, but it, it's always struck me that that was part of his gig. But here and there on that, Commodus lets you know very quickly what he wants is his father's seat. And he just can't wait to get to it. But what is revealed is that Richard Harris knows Commodus is, is a failure as a as a human being, and I can never let somebody like that be emperor. I want you, Maximus, to be the emperor. And that's what sets in motion the things that ultimately put Maximus on the road to becoming a gladiator, because Commodus murders his father in in that process. Yeah, and that's a, it's a great scene when uh, Maximus is talking with the emperor, I mean, this is really for a film that's such a massive, you know, massive epic film. It, the screenplay by I think it's William Nicholson and John Logan, as well as the original conceiver of the story, uh, David Franzoni. The the dialogue in this film is really, really good. Especially my my favorite dialogue scene is the scene between Marcus and uh, and Maximus, where Maximus is talking about you know what what his home life is like, why he would fight, and Marcus talking about himself, like about like. You know, I mean, what are people going to th- talk? What are people going to say about me in years to come? Am I going to be known as a philosopher, a warrior, a tyrant? You know, or and then he goes on, or will I be the guy who gives Rome back her true self? And then he points to Maximus and says, "You know, I want you to be the emperor." Because for me, this this actually is the part of the movie that really drags for me. Is this whole like you know tense scene after the battle, and you know you got Maximus talking to the you know the emperor, and then you know. The emperor talking to his son, and then his son talking to his sister, and then his sister talking back to Maximus, and Maximus talking. I mean, it's just like, it's so much talking after such like kind of a really cool battle. And for me, like, when I went to this movie the first time, when you got like the ball with the ball trailer and stuff, this is one of what wasn't, wasn't what I was expecting, you know? It's like, God, someone just killed somebody already, sure. man. You guys are sitting there talking. And like, I'm just going to say right now, like, Walking Phoenix character, he's such a little pansy. I mean, he's just like, he just... He's a little mopey, like, oh, father, you know, just the way he acts and stuff. That's exactly why we're supposed to hate him, though. That's that's the point. Is I, I think you're right. He, it's he's not so much that I hated him. It wasn't so much that I hated him that it was just like I didn't want to see him anymore on the screen. And, <laughs> you know, he got nominated for an Oscar. 
And the whole thing, too, is I remember when I saw this, like, people in the theater were actually kind of laughing at him. It was kind of like, you know, they were, anytime he was on the screen and he's just acting like this, like, complete sissy, and they're just, everybody's kind of laughing at him. And it's like, you know, a lot of people didn't like his performance. And it was just later that all suddenly, like, everybody's talking about how great it was. You know, I think it's just the way the character's written. He's just, I don't know, the character is just despicable. And, uh, and, and it's almost like, not despicable in the way, like, you know, you watch, like, a villain, like the Joker, and you're like, oh, my God, that guy's terrible. It's kind of, like, despicable as in, I don't want to see him anymore. I just don't like this guy. It's just, like, I don't want to see him on screen because he's just annoying me. And that's just the way he's come off. And, I mean, I get his whole arc, too, with, like, you know, I think the whole reason that he's kind of going after his sister was that his sister loved his father. I mean, the, their father. She just loved him and everything. And he wanted to be his father because he wasn't getting the love from his father that the father was giving to his sister. So in a way, he was trying to take the father's role and almost kind of advance it a little bit. I think that's why he was going after his sister. Watching the film the first time, I always well liked the character. I didn't like the character, but I, I acknowledge it as a good performance. And I think the character, like you're describing him as this sissy, weak character, I think that is one of the things that makes him a great villain is that He's, you know, in this position of unreal power. I mean, they, they eventually go on to say he's like, has this, uh, what's the word, ruling with an iron fist. He's like this Adolf Hitler of Rome. But as a person, he's just this weak, pathetic. He's like, he's like Fredo uh, uh, out of the Corleones. Like, what would happen if he was in charge and had a vendetta against uh, the world or whatever? And I think, like, he's also an element of, like, of stu- not stupidity, but... He's not like his father's a genius, and this guy is just not. And I think that has always been a great, frightening combination for me is power and stupidity and, uh, you know, a morality. And that is what this guy is. And, uh, I didn't, but I didn't honestly find him like, you know, frightening, but I thought like this, it would be pretty scary to live with this guy as the emperor. I mean, isn't this almost like, you know, it's almost like a tale too, where it's like, the father has a son that he's just disappointed in and it takes almost like another guy as a son. I mean, you saw this in The Sopranos where, you know, Tony had his son, AJ, who he couldn't stand. He was, he just, he just didn't like his son. So, of course, his next son figure that he kind of picks up is a guy just like him, you know, within Christopher. Mm-hmm. And this, it's the same thing in this movie where it's like the king just sees his son and he just, he's just disgusted with him. He's not going to come out and say it because he's got that biological love for him, but it's like he looks at Russell Crowe's character of Maximus and it's like he wants that to be his son. He wishes that Maximus was his son. Commodus is, his lead character trait is insecurity. He's continually seeking favor from people. I mean, that's typified in all those times he does the thumbs up, thumbs down thing you know, for the crowd and he lets the crowd decide who lives and dies for such things and how, how that goes. He wants the respect and adoration and love of people without ever having to really earn it. He just wants it because of who he is and the spot he's in. And he's, he's trying to buy it, basically. Exactly, yeah. He is trying to buy his way in. And Maximus wants none of that, which is why Aurelius knows you're the right kind of leader that we need right now because you don't want it. And it's it's a lot of, if you read anything about American history and things, it's a lot of the way that George Washington is remembered in history is that he was the last guy that wanted to be president. He, he only did it because he realized the other people involved would have never let it go. And he was the one that was willing to do it and then would, would walk away and let it go. And that's the same kind of thing that they're playing with here with Russell Crowe. And and it's why it works. And it's the one thing that makes Commodus so easy, again, I'll go back to saying he's easy to hate, is because he is that guy in your office 
who is just a suck up and is so insecure and constantly seeking favor with folks and he doesn't care who he has to stomp or cheat or get over to get there. But by himself, he's completely useless. He couldn't do any of it on his own. Because when they finally do let him fight him, he gets his butt kicked. So that's that's the whole point. And and I, I like that. I like that he is, from the time we meet him till the minute he dies, he is the same insecure, favor-seeking person throughout the entire film. So Commodus finds out that his father wants Maximus to be the new emperor. They have this big crying scene. He smothers his father with a hug and then, of course, stages this whole death. And he sends out essentially the hit squad to you got to go kill Maximus because he's going to betray you know, Rome. And so they go to execute Maximus. They ride till dawn and they, you know, they're going to cut his head off. And I love how Russell Crowe uses you know, the idea of honor and stuff to find a way out. It's like, give me a soldier's death. You know, don't just chop my head off because if you don't know what you're doing, chopping somebody's head off, that could take a lot. Just give me one quick one down through the spine. I'll be done. He uses that as his way to get out. That's one of the better action sequences when he's flipping the sword around and throwing it through the air and everything. I, I thought that was fantastic. That was great. That was definitely the moment where I was like, I already like the character, like you saw him as a soldier, but then when he's like, you know, give me a soldier's death, when he says you give me a soldier's death, you kind of know what he's going to do. It's like, oh, he's, he's playing these guys. And then when he, you know, he's standing in front of the guy, the guy's trying to draw his sword, and he looks at him and he's like, you know, it's the frost, sometimes it makes the blade stick. I thought, like, that's when he entered a new realm of like, this guy's just a badass. Exactly. And he's like, and he's, and he's taunting the guy. He's like, hey, Praetorian, over here. And he's like, you know, that's just obviously that what screws him up. But uh, oh yeah, that was it's such a great fight. It's a yeah, because it's the first like fight scene. But that's why I bring up the opinion that he likes this stuff. I mean, he's almost having fun with these guys with it because he knows he's on such a different level, and he's almost taking. When he's saying, you know, ah, oh, you know, sometimes the frost makes the blade stick. I mean, it's almost just like a classic Bond type thing where the guy runs out of ammo. Hmm. Or you know, shoots out, shoots out a blank. You know, shoot. It's a dud bullet or something like that. And it's just like you see the joy in his eyes. You said that, and and what <laughs> popped in my head when I saw this this time was I was thinking Bond too, Nick. And I went back to Doctor No. It's like that's a Smith and Wesson. You've had your six, and then he puts two in him from the wall. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that is exactly right. Yeah. It is a Bond line all the way, and I love it. But you're right. That that hubris though catches him. Because Praetorian gets him on the arm. And he not only gets him, that becomes like a major plot thing in the next yeah. 20 minutes. Because it becomes infected. It's one reason he gets sick. Because he goes from there, finally gets back to his family. And you talk about it gruesome. He finds his wife yeah. and son crucified above his door and burned to death. His whole life destroyed. Yeah, I'm just, I'm just going to kind of go back for a second. George R. R. Martin sure copied a lot from Gladiator. The 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 the, uh, the wound that affects him is that Cal Drogo <laughs> gets infected. Yeah, kinda, mm -hmm. yeah. So. yeah. Uh, too, too bad he didn't have any you know Africans uh, with uh, good uh, maggots around. Jeez. Yeah, that's why I keep a drawer full of them, guys. It's good. It's good to have. Good to have. <laughs> that's that's a good point. Demon <laughs> leeches, man. Think about a revenge film. This is one of the most. This is like you know. Like there's like three things about a revenge film. You set up the character why he's happy, and you take that away, and then you see the revenge. And David Fincher was talking about this on the uh, Girl with the Dragon Tattoo DVD about how unbelievably horrific some of those those rape scenes are. And he said, "Well, that's kind of the point. I mean, if you want, you can't have a good revenge without feeling the slights. I mean, RoboCop uh, wouldn't be as satisfying if." 
Murphy was just say you know shot in the head or anything like you you like the worse off the hero uh, ends up, the better the revenge feels, and that's definitely the case with Gladi- Gladiator because it's ju- it's so horrible. I mean they they didn't they could they could have just cut uh, as his wife and uh, son's head off, and they didn't. Uh, they they. It's it's unbelievably horrific what they do to them. Well, it even comes comes back further. I mean, they even do this in Batman Begins, where they start tormenting the main character with how the people died. You know, like in this one, they talk about how, like, you know, the boy cried like a little girl, and that the uh, the wife uh, squealed like a pig when they were raping her. I mean, they kind of did that in Batman Begins when they talk about, yeah. like, oh yeah, your father begged for his life. You know, he's begged like a dog. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. yeah, beg like a dog and everything like that. I mean, it's just almost like the ca- classic uh, villainous trope where it's like the rubbing salt on the wound a little bit. And yeah, I mean, it's just like later when you start hearing about all that stuff too, and it's just like, ah, man, it makes you just want to get behind them even more and just, you know, chop all these guys' heads off themselves. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's that's the point is that that we, that's where we are with him is that now we've found this guy at his lowest. And he, he buries them. And he basically just sort of, I, I take it as he just lays down to die. He's just going to will himself to die, but he finds himself taken by slave traders you know, along the way. And you get that, that image again of the, they keep replaying it, of him walking through the field with his hand and all that. And I'm going to say this now. I think this entire film is the last things he remembers before he dies. Is we're just sort of queuing back to that moment constantly. Is that this is what he remembers the last few months of his life being like, you know? Because they keep throwing that in there. That makes sense. Could be. I always kind of took it as like that's where he wants to be. Because again, you yeah. brought up in the beginning where he was like, you know, if you're walking through a field of grain and stuff, you're in a better place than us right now. I think this is like you're almost like in his. You're you're inside his head right now, where you know he's laying and they're carrying him around, and he's just kind of envisioning that. It's like that's where he wants to be. He yep. just wants to die in a way, but he's not going to take his own life. He's not going to, you know, put himself out there to get killed. But that's his fantasy right now. Is he just wants it all to end? Yeah, and that, and but he, it, it's just beginning actually, because he's brought it into, I, uh, you know, the slave trade, like we said, and brought to Proximo Oliver Reed in his final performance. How do they find him? Laying on the I side mean, of these, the road. These slave traders just kind of just. Uh, just, just they just they just walking around like, hey, you know, should go get that guy. And oh, oh yeah, got I think the they're guy sleeping as, on the bench. Know, uh, yep, just go grab him. He looks good. Kind of, kind of yeah, like uh, the uh, the loose crows or whatever, looking for men of the watch, right? You know, just roaming about, going, oh, that will <laughs> do. You know, and that's how I took it. Oh yeah, is he kind of like Gene Hackman in that in that one movie where he's kidnapping all the homeless people and doing? Doing uh, experiment, extreme measures. <laughs> Let's talk though about the guy he's brought to Proximo Oliver Reed. His final performance. I mean, he died making this, basically. I, and I'll say this now: deserved an Oscar nomination for that role. The reason he didn't get it is because they digitally mapped his face over a body double for a few crowd scenes at the end of the thing, and his performance is fantastic. And the idea of how he comes to know Maximus and really befriends him, becomes another mentor to him. I really liked it. Well, Proximo, he's my favorite character of the film. Uh, what he is, he's uh, he's Mickey uh, and Max yep. is Rocky in that situation. He's the trainer. You know, get him, Rock, uh, and so on. But 
yeah, amazing character. And yeah, the performance. Anyone who, uh, if you haven't seen the DVD of uh, Gladiator, they got a whole feature on there about Oliver Reed and literally the massive problems that arose with him literally dying uh, in the middle of the, of the shoot schedule. And it's really fascinating. And they made it work. And uh, and yeah, it ends up. I mean, it mean, ends up. You, I didn't know this until someone told me that he died during the movie. But, uh, yeah, unbelievable performance. And they said, while well, they were making it, making the rushes, like, like, Albert Reed, he was kind of away from cinema for a long time. But they were watching the rushes of this film and they were like, oh my God, man, this, we've just rebooted Oliver Reed's career. If he was still alive, he would have been, you know, he would have, he probably would have been in Harry Potter. Uh, he would have been, he probably would have been in stuff like Pirates of the Caribbean. He would have been all over the place. If I know him from the work he did in his, his 70s run. Those are the things I've, I've seen him in more than anything. I, oddly enough, one that's actually in the early 80s that's a part of that. It's a little uh, obscure horror film called Venom that uh, I highly recommend you check out just for the kitsch factor of it. But he's a good bad guy in that. But yeah, th- I mean, they thought they were rebooting this guy's career. At this point, and and they yeah. were. It just he didn't live long enough to really yeah. see it, and that's the tragic part of it. But you can't take your eyes off of him and what he's doing, and him and Crow together are just chewing it up. And it's it's neat when you can see yeah. two actors that really command this, the camera. I mean, they they both the camera loves both of them and follows them and tracks them well when they're on, on screen together and in the same frame, the same scenes both doing performances it's some of the best direction ridley's ever done it's it's amazing that the guy that you know has done such missteps in his career is stuff like hannibal can still do this too i mean that's that's the amazing part but i, d- I definitely want to say that uh, ridley scott's uh gladiator i think when you break it down is probably the best uh film film he's ever done in terms of uh, like writing and acting. I mean, you don't really see a really Scott film for the performance, but I think he's got the best group of actors and acting in his film since Alien and Blade Runner. The one-two punch of, of Alien and Blade Runner are like the Ridley Scott, that's my Ridley Scott playbook. But I won't argue with you that this is, in the later Ridley stuff, by far the best one of, of all of them. I mean, just just fantastic work here. And I, I like the whole element, too, that kind of later comes up that uh, he's actually... A gladiator himself. He was a gladiator. Yeah. And he got out because he won favor with the crowd. And I kind of like that. It's almost like, you know, if you guys ever watch Boardwalk Empire, how uh, Gretchen, she's kind of like, you know, the former child prostitute who actually ends up becoming the brothel runner or something. She, like, earned her way out of it and now is making money off of it herself. I mean, it, it's a classic trope in itself. And it's one that I like, too. I like it that they don't throw it out right away, that it's kind of like as later as the battles go on and stuff, and Maximus is talking about it, and he kind of, you know, kind of reignites the spirit of going, you know, hey, you can get out of this. You can. All you have to do is win the win the crowd, and you can get out of here. And Maximus sees it as a way as if I get out of here, I can get my revenge on this guy. Well, his his hope is, yeah. and because Maximus has learned along the way that his men are still loyal to him, so that he could command an army again that could overthrow Commodus. So his whole purpose of living now has been changed by this guy who gives him the glimmer of hope, the way out. 
you know, before all that is is taken away from him again. But I, I I thought I think that's exactly you hit it on the head, Kurt. He's Mickey to Maximus's Rocky at this point. That's exactly the the place he's supposed to be in, and it's a grand performance. I mean, it works. Let's talk about these fight scenes, guys. I mean, there's a ton of those here. Yeah. We've talked about the ones in the beginning we liked. Every one of the gladiator fights, I'm down for. I like it all. Everyone gets better than the one before it. I mean, they get bigger than the one before it. And it's just, it's so, like I was saying about how this, you know, this is a, there's a personal element to this film, emotional side about this guy wanting to be back with his family. But meanwhile, it's one of the best action films ever made. Some of the stuff that happens in this film. I mean, is I think this is really, really Scott's first out-and-out action film. He's done action in his films before, but this is like a proper film that would go on the action shelf on a, in a video store if those still existed. But the action in this scene, in this, in this entire film, is outstanding. It's it's great. It's it's hard to balance really gripping drama with really compelling action. You usually have to sacrifice one yeah. for the other, but every now and then you get one that'll yeah. do it. And I'm with you. This, this works every time. And when they keep up in the stakes and up in the stakes and finally he has to go against the undefeated gladiator then, and his tigers. And I mean, that's just, I mean, that, that was yeah. a fantastic uh, set of uh, sequences. But the, one of the best ones is where him and his crew have to go in there and take on all the guys in the chariots and the archers. That's a great, Right scene, the idea that it, within the context, like the Roman, uh, there, there's a whole history of the Colosseum. It's a fascinating history. I recommend everyone look up what they used to do in that Colosseum. They would do, uh, like you know, like like kind of like how you know WWF they create these backstories for these fights. That's what they did, exactly. Sort of where they create, they put stories in, like like literally the fight we see in Gladiator. It's a recreation of a battle that. Uh, it's like a Civil War reenactment, but instead of using blanks, they're yeah. using real bullets. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. It, yeah. It is a, it's like a reenactment, and it's it's their entertainment. You know, it is their WWE. It is it's it's how they go about it. And the whole thing too is the the stack the odds are stacked so against Maximus and his you know his crew of uh, misfit gladiators that uh you know it's. The other guys on the chariots are supposed to win. I mean, that's when you almost kind of see the guys like going like, "Aren't they supposed to lose and stuff?" And it's like, "That's a great line." Yeah, yeah. It's, you know. <laughs> but but the whole thing is because it's it's not scripted. It's it's completely you know up to you know who the better warriors are. It's just that one side yeah. was more heavily you know favored. You know, they had a lot more advantage than you know compared to the uh the, yeah. the grunts in the middle and stuff and man that is a gruesome fight too i mean even the chariots i mean they got these freaking like spikes coming out of the wheels and like it cuts a guy in half oh, yeah. i mean that's one thing right this movie half. does not shy away from is the gore is you know there, there's so many just oh, like yeah. badass scenes where a guy gets his head cut off or you know someone gets like completely split in half it's like the movie doesn't care it's throwing it all out there and stuff and it's you know Ridley Scott has done that before. I mean, watch Alien does have a lot of gruesome stuff in there. And, you know, he he has done, like, smaller yeah. action stuff. And that's what I think kind of how this movie works is it's not 100% action film. It's not a Michael Bay film from beginning to end. It kind of just, like, it's going back and forth <laughs> no. between the drama and the action. Drama and the action. Well, I'll say this about it. The action is in service to the drama instead of the other way around. That's the trope of the action film often is that the drama mm -hmm. has to service the action. But the action here 
is because of all the drama. And it's why we're interested in it. It's because of all the drama. Because before they even go out there, the, you know, the rest of them are like, well, we're going out here to get killed, but at least it's on a big stage. You know, at least we got that to, to go out with. And Maximus is like, bump that. We're going to kill these people, and I'm going to show you how. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, yeah. let's do it. And, uh, it's again, he's, he's a grand leader. We've seen him do this. This should be no surprise. And the people rally around him. And I, I loved it. I thought it was a great scene. And, you know, even if you watch the uh, DVD or Blu-ray of it, you're going to notice that there was a lot of fight scenes deleted from this film. They deleted a lot of them, and I think there was, like, they didn't finish up the scene, but there was actually going to be a scene before he got to the uh, Roman Coliseum where he actually fought against a rhino. They decided to kind of the not fi- finish yeah. it up, but to finish it, not, not to do that scene. But then there was also actually a full fight scene that they actually filmed and then they cut it out so this movie was a little bit more action-packed you know during the scripting stages and filming stages they just decided to kind of cut some of it out to kind of you know maybe not make it so long and to kind of maybe dramatize it a little bit more the the fight scene with the rhino i mean uh i don't know how far they got i think they got as far as like a making a prosthetic head that could move for close-ups but i mean looking back i don't even think you could do that today i mean a fight scene with an animal Without the animal looking unbelievably fake, I mean, I'd love to see it, but uh, but they did have that in this I mean, movie I don't know. with the tigers. I mean, they weren't fighting directly against they the tigers, did, but they uh, were part of that battle. That's right, and maybe you know what? you might have just completely uh, proved me wrong there because yeah, that tiger fight. There's a few shots in there where like literally the tiger has grabbed hold of Maximus, and I'm like, I can't believe this is real. Like CG or not, a tiger has grabbed hold of. The stunt guy. Well, they, like, they, they did a trifecta again of I know the, the special effects is I think they had shots of real tigers, CGI, and then puppetry. Well, guys, what the one person we haven't called out from the crew that we need to do is Petro Scalia, the longtime editor who worked with Ridley Scott. Though this film is cut beautifully, and it's it's spliced up just great, and I think he made a lot of good decisions as to what to cut. I'm glad there's not more action in this. It's got plenty. It doesn't need more. Let let the thing breathe, let the drama work, and let the action roll because of what's happening on the, the drama side. I think that was the right choice. But that fight with the Tigers and the, the undefeated uh, Gladiator Tigress or whatever is great. But the thing about that that really gets me is at the end, he refuses to obey the command of the, the Emperor you know, with the uh, with the uh, thumbs down bit, and I, I mean, I thought that was just you know wonderful. I mean, I it's it's really neat uh, to see that. And then the the best of that though is when he finally is forced to reveal himself to Commodus, and the look on Joaquin Phoenix's face when he takes that helmet off. I mean, that's the plot summary of the movie, is that I will have my revenge. Yeah. That's a badass helmet, too, man. That was a cool-looking helmet. I agree. I mean, I think that, that all that moves it forward for it. And that's where we get to the next part of the story, is that Maximus is conspiring with Lucilla now to get his old soldiers and a senator back to take Commodus out by force. But you, you called Commodus, you said he, he's the, the combination of uh, you know self, uh, self-loathing and amoral and not terribly bright but he figures out that she might betray him you know and that it's like the smartest thing he has in the whole film is that he realizes that this is going to happen and so he comes up with a way to to thwart the attempt of the coup maybe that's that's one thing about this film that i don't really 
like is they there's this whole concept of the senators trying to get together to uh what's the word well to thwart uh communists and i thought maybe it was because i was watching the extended cut but those scenes struck me as man this is this is that stuff that uh i think was exercised from the film and uh, is the film is better for it because Especially when the plot to overthrow the emperor, you know, through the, these back channels and politics-wise, ends up not happening anyway. That is the one part of the film I don't really like. I mean, because like uh, they they could they should have just completely kept it with this concept of, you know, uh, of the sport of it, and that leading to I'm going to get face to face with the communists, and I'll, and that's how I'll get my revenge. Not this whole back channel of uh, you know, like the whole even the whole thing about him leading the army. I mean. Like I, I, I can't picture how that would work. Uh, I think the way the film turns out is, you know, there's not, there's nothing wrong with it. It's the way, like I watch the film, it's totally satisfying. Can I tell you, having seen the cut you're talking about, Kurt, I know what you mean. For hmm. this review, I watched the theatrical cut again because I think it's the superior cut of the two yeah. films. I think the way this film is put together, it's long enough as it is. That was yeah. unnecessary backstory that that it ultimately led nowhere anyway yeah uh, really scott says on the dvd the intro to the extended cut i mean you know the director's cut he calls the director's cut is the movie that was put in theaters i wouldn't release anything otherwise he says and uh, the extended cut is really just all the deleted scenes put back in and watching the extended cut it's just you can see well there's a reason he cut this stuff out he just put it in there just you know i i don't mind that i wish all directors did that like give us the normal version but you know don't give us just deleted scenes on the side. Put them in the movie. And I, I like that they did that. But, uh, yeah, the extended cut is not, is, is a, an example of a director's cut or an extended cut that is not preferable to the shorter, uh, cut. I like that stuff though. See, that's the kind of stuff I kind of find interesting is, you know, instead of just making this little story about one man, it's a story about all of Rome and exactly what has happened or what has transpired since the main, the emperor's wishes never came true of having Maximus become the new emperor. And like, I just kind of like, I kind of like just showing how uh, Commodus is just a complete screw up and how no one really respects him. But the thing is always, he kind of gets his way no matter what. I mean, even like when we talk about Maximus trying to get back his army and trying to get that, it's still all spoiled from him. And it just makes it just that much more heartbreaking. It's like, God, this guy just cannot catch a break. You know, he's about to get out of here, get his army. And it's just spoiled at the end. And, it just it just makes us so much better at the end when it's like he kills Commodus and then not only did he like fulfill his revenge and everything like that, but it's also making Rome better for it. Whereas I think if you didn't have the elements of like the senators and stuff all discussing like how bad he was and kind of like all the little subplots with him and just how people didn't respect him, you really wouldn't know like, you know, okay, is he a good emperor or not? I mean, okay, he's throwing these games and stuff like that. I agree with you. We need some of that stuff, but we don't need the whole house of cards going on underneath all this other stuff because then it becomes too big. It's like these four people are ruining everything in Rome. That's a little, seems to be a little strange. Like it's, it's too much of that. Like it, there's just enough of it in the, the standard cut of the film that that works. And I agree with you. I, I like those elements because mm-hmm. they're just, they're, they're morsels. They're not the whole meal. I don't want to eat just thin mints, you know, for, for dinner. I want just a few on the side, you know? So that to me is what that is. It's just a little flavoring on the side to make it make a little more sense and to fit in historically and stuff. But if they had gone on and on like they do in the extended cut with it, it's like, geez, is this ever going to get on with it? You know? And it does drag the film down. See, to me, though, I like the, I love politics like that. I love, you know, even go back to like, 
you know, we always got to bring up Star Wars in every one of these casts. And, like, even the prequels. The best part about those prequels is all the political back games that the Emperor's throwing. The rest of the movies are shit. But the whole, like, political background games yeah, that the Emperor's playing, I think, are the best parts. <laughs> no, of I disagree. Yeah, we're going to have to like, you like the best freaking, stuff in the you, films. You all like the, the romance. You like the romance. No, 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 no. I don't no. know that. <laughs> You like oh, we- Anakin. Oh, okay. your your skin doesn't your your skin doesn't feel like sand. Well, okay, <laughs> let's talk about the end though here because that is the whole point of it. The the yeah. plan is thwarted. Commodus just decides I am tired of Maximus, you know, stealing my thunder. I'm gonna get him out of the way. He wants this duel with him, but he does this coward ass thing and stabs him in the side before they go out yeah. there and he's like conceal the wound and I was like you wuss I was like I can't wait to watch yeah. you get your butt kicked and Max you know he wouldn't do it any me. other way though I'm even surprised he'd even do it after that because you know what formal training has he had I mean you saw Maximus take out you know four of his freaking executioners without you know breaking a sweat it's you know I don't know. To me, it's kind of far-fetched. It's the point, though. It's what we want to see, though, because we know Maximus would just plow through him like he's not there. So it at least allows that fight to have some weight where he can get in a blow or two and Maximus is, is trying to not bleed to death before he can stab him. And I love how, in the end, it's not even Maximus's own sword. He, you know, Commodus comes at him with that dagger, and he just turns it around on him and shoves it right in his throat. And he does the Crow does it. It's just the subtle little thing. When he first starts stabbing him, he does that and it's almost like the way that Nazi who's killing the, the soldier in Saving Private Ryan does. It's like, just let it happen. Here's the thing, though. is like this stuff wouldn't work, though, without all that political stuff. It wouldn't because the whole reason that I can even get that why he needs to take on Maximus is not only because of the crowd backing Maximus, is because also there's, there, there's like a conspiracy against them. And if, and if communists can go down there and kill this guy who everybody is just worshiping, He's now going to take his place. He's going to be like, you know what? I'm better than him. He's trying to win the approval. And if you can win the approval of the people, the Senate and stuff can't do anything against him because he has the backing of the people. And that's the whole point of the battle. But also what the point of the battle at the end of the battle is, too, is when he's laying dead and they all, you know, pick up Maximus's body and, you know, take him off and leave him laying there. If we didn't have any of that backstory stuff going on with the Senate and how people felt, that would make absolutely no sense. Yeah. So, Kurt, you're wrong. I suppose so. <laughs> but that that end fight scene is uh, everything about it. Like, literally the last, uh, whatever it is, let's say from the beginning when he gets stabbed to the end credits, that whole sequence is just perfect. And I, one of the things, it's just such a badass fight, in my opinion, this concept of this guy is doing the chicken shit thing of, of trying to fix the fight. I mean, he could have died, you know, before the fight started with that wound. But even with a fixed fight, two things, like there's two sides of this. One is uh, the, this idea that Maximus is badass enough that he'll win in a fixed fight. And the idea that Commodus is such a loser, he'll <laughs> lose in a fixed fight. And I just love it. It's it's like, it's not, I don't know, it's not funny, but it's like, I just watch it like, you can't help but smile. It's like this, like really... He should be dead, Maximus, but he still manages to kill this guy. The whole fight scene is so, it's beautiful in my opinion, because during, like, in the middle of the fight, between, you know, strokes of the sword, Maximus is literally, he's seeing those afterlife images of him returning home and stuff, and you realize he is dying in these moments. And even, even in that, he still manages, like, I'm gonna drop dead in 30 seconds, but before I do, I'm gonna kill this guy. And that is so, that's so perfect for me. Well, it's also very personal, 
you know, the way yeah. that, that it finally gets down to this is very personal. And the way he kills him is that the, the weapon you've used to basically kill me, Commodus, I'm going to turn it around on you and kill you. And it's your, your yeah. own cowardice is being turned around to kill you. That's what is happening. And that's the symbol of, of yeah. this. And not only in, in the, you know, I have 30 seconds to live here or whatever, I'm going to take you out because I need to do that because it's your time. But I'm going to make sure Marcus Aurelius's wishes are followed. Yeah. Free my people, free the slave, free my um, soldiers, free the slaves, put Gracchus back in the Senate. And then, I, and I love yeah. how he dies. He just falls over yeah. and that's it. And I, I mean, I, that was great. It wasn't any extended, you know, crazy death or anything. It's just, okay, that's it. And it's like that look of yeah. peace on his face. As he's why would he care what happens, everybody, though? You know, like, why would because, he... the, because that's the thing. He's a man of honor. I was going to say, but the whole thing is the old emperor's wishes is what costs his family his life. If the old emperor would have never asked him to be emperor, his family would still be alive, and chances are he'd probably be home with him right not, now. But he doesn't see it that way, though. Nick. Not necessarily. Yeah. No, because Commodus, I think he he liked Maximus. He kind of wanted him to be kind of like his, you know, his hand of the king, I guess you could say, or kind of like his right-hand man to kind of yeah. win the approval. He had no problem with him until his father saw that he favored Maximus over him. And the whole reason he wanted him to kill was out of just pure jealousy. But now if the, if the emperor would have never, ever tried to sit there and promote Maximus to it, his life probably would have been okay. I forgot that Mac, that Marcus, before he dies, he does literally tell Commodus, my powers will pass to Maximus instead. I forgot about that. that so that does actually make sense. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that's that's the whole point. That's that's the driving force of why he, he Commodus kills him. And that's that's what gets us to this point. But I, I, I'll just say this. I think that the reason Maximus is there is you're not wrong, Nick, but he doesn't see it that way. Because he's he's the ultimate soldier man of honor, you know he doesn't he doesn't see that his mentor's ways are what really put all this in motion. He sees it as it's his screw up son that has done this, and I'm not going to let that be the legacy of my mentor or of me. And this guy, his legacy should be laying here in the dirt, dead. And you know what? He gets it right because, like you say, Kirk, they carry Maximus off the field of battle. They leave Commodus yeah. laying there. To bleed out. That's so great. Yeah. <laughs> it would have been better though if the like, tiger, if I, like a straight tiger, would have rocked up and started. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Started gnawing. Or, 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 or would have lifted his leg maybe, up and peed on maybe, him and walked away. Maybe, <laughs> that would have been well, something like straight maybe, out of the Simpsons or something. Maybe, maybe that's in the other extended guts. So, well, guys, I think we're at the point of the podcast where it's time to give final thoughts, recommendations, and popcorn ratings for the movie. So, Nick and Kurt, what are yours for Gladiator? Nick. Uh, for me, it's going to be a large popcorn. Um, it's a very good movie. I don't think it's great. I mean, we were talking a little bit before the cast about the other movies that came out, and there are movies that year that I preferred more, and I don't think this one deserved Best Picture. I mean, I love like movies like uh, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Traffic was a good movie. Um, there's just a few other ones that I really enjoyed more, but it, to me, it's... it's just a few short steps of being great. There's just a few little things. I don't like Walking Phoenix's performance i just he comes off just like i said as not as a guy you really want to see get killed it's just as a guy you just don't want to see so to me it's 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 a solid large popcorn so kurt well i absolutely give this uh X, an extra large uh, popcorn. I reckon, if, I mean everyone has seen it already i mean i'm not going to say like if we haven't seen it see everyone has seen gladiator i mean and uh 
I th- I really do. In case it hasn't come across, I absolutely love this film. I think this is a absolute masterpiece. I think it is just about uh, Ridley Scott's best film. I think it's like Alien and then this. Uh, I think Russell Crowe gives one of the better performances uh, in history. I mean, he's just, he's so good. This film catapulted him so he could do stuff like Master and Commander. And hopefully he'll, you know, and, and, and he, of course, you know, got to do some great work in Les Miserables. Uh, and also, uh, Kurt, and, Kurt uh, anyway, brought in a little subplot into The Sopranos. Absolutely. <laughs> One of the best things in The Sopranos is w- this, the character of, of Ralphie referencing the, uh, referencing Gladiator all the time. He's it's with so, it. anyway, but, but Gladiator is absolutely just one of my favorite films. Winner of, you know, five Academy Awards. Winner of Best Picture. I do not mind it winning Best Picture at all. The split of Traffic winning Best Director and Gladiator winning Best Picture. To me, that makes perfect sense. Literally, those two films split the major awards, playing with Crash and Tiger, Hidden Dragon. And I think I'm perfectly fine with it. I think Soderbergh did a better job directing Traffic than Scott did directing Gladiator. But I think Gladiator is a masterpiece. I think it is never going away. Like, let's say the films that have, that Gladiator inspired, Troy, uh, Kingdom of Heaven, those films are already gone. Alexander. But Gladiator is going to be around forever. It's going to be around just as long as Spartacus. I will say this about this film. It, it, I, this one for me in Ridley Scott's oeuvre, it, it holds the three spot. For me, it's Alien, Blade Runner, and then then you start working yeah. down. And Gladiator is the strong three. I mean, it's a, it's the best of his latter work, no doubt. Never argue that. I would even make an argument his work here directing was more I, I would have given him the directing Oscar yeah. and maybe given traffic oh, yeah. best picture, but you could swap them out. I mean either either one of those are great. The thing is this film and you summed it up well there, Kurt, is that this thing is going to last. This movie's thirteen years old and I'm I watched it you know, a couple of days ago to get ready for this review, and it was like watching yeah. a, a new all the time. I mean, I never get tired of it, and I can't watch it on a continuous loop. But once a year, at least, if not twice, I'm going to either run across it or I'm going to find an excuse to go back to it. And that, to me, is is the lasting mark of a great film. It takes a very good film into the great land. And for me, Crow's performance, Reed's performance in this elevate this material yeah. so far above what it could be you know, and, and has inspired some really good stuff in spite of the, you know it inspired some bad stuff but oh, it's yeah. inspired some good stuff too and i think the bar- borrowing from this you can never go wrong i'm in the extra large popcorn bucket with you too i think this is one of the best films we've ever reviewed on film strip and it's one of it's one of the best of its genre for sure it's yeah. going to stand up there with ben Hur, Spartacus for the test of time so we we agree on that but hey, it's it, this may be a first ever where we've all agreed Is that, that right? something was unanimously good at least. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that never happens on any of these shows. It's either we no we no we can all agree on unanimously bad. Uh, go listen to the Leprechaun series. But uh, it's you know finding something that we're all in some way or another finding we have to find ways to cr- criticize it is rare. So it was a fun discussion. Kurt, glad to have you over on the film strip side of things, and Nick, always glad to have you here. As well, folks, you can find more episodes in our archive section of our website, the continuousplaypodcast.com slash movies. You can also find links to the Art of Slaying, the Buffy the Vampire Slayer retrospective, and the Fabish Factor, uh, Kurt's podcast. Um, more episodes in that coming out very soon. We do appreciate your support. If you like the podcast, please leave us a review on iTunes. Catch up with us on Facebook. Let us know what you think of the show and your opinions on the topic. Did you? 
Until next time, for Nick and Kurt, I'm Jay. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Thanks for listening to Filmstrip. Visit our website, continuousplaypodcast.com, for more reviews and episodes. All content used or discussed in this podcast are the property of their respective owners and used under the Fair Use Act Section 504C2, Title 17.